we approach Christmas, I think everybody loves the season, or most people love the season, but there are many who approach Christmas with a certain amount of skepticism. So we read the story, the old, old story, we're going to read another part of it again this morning as we travel on in Luke chapter 1, we're up to verse 26 in the Annunciation to Mary. As we read the story, there are many things within the story that folks find hard to believe. People struggle with the supernatural nature of the things that we talk about. But all things are possible in God's world. We're in Luke chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Hear then the Word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin who is betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of a greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her and he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning. We've come to you and to your word. To hear again with power the truth of what you say the truth of what You have done, the glory of it all, and the glory of this One named Jesus. Father, we come now and open our hearts and minds. Would You give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we might indeed worship in spirit and in truth this One whom You gave at Christmas. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. There are two ways to experience the world, two ways to look at the world. As I was saying as we were were introduced, and and one is to see the world, understand the world, experience the world as a created world. That means a world that has a creator. So, something more. Or, a world that is an accidental world. A world that just is. Just happened. An accidental world is a closed world. It's a world that is the only physical world. It's a world that there's only what you can see and touch, only what you can test and prove. It's a world that is is closed in and 
without anything extraordinary in it. In such a world, Christmas makes no sense. These kind of things, angels, pregnant virgins, you know, sons of God, these things make no sense in an actual accidental world, a world that just is. But in a created world, it, it's a different story. Because a created world is alive with the presence of the One who created it. There is something outside of it, something bigger than it, something purposeful, something alive. It's His world. Alive with His presence. Isn't this what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 139 where the psalmist is thinking about the presence of God and it being His world, a created world, and he says, where can I go to flee from your presence? You know, if I go to the depths, you're there. If I go on the other side, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn to the far side of the seed, you're there. Where can I go? Nowhere. This is a world that is overflowing with your presence. Isn't this what Paul meant when he says in Acts 17, 28, when he says, in Him, in the Creator, in the Lord, in Him we live and move and have our being? It's in Him. There's, he's around us, above us, below us. He's everywhere. This is the omnipresence of God. The God who created a world and, and in a sense envelops the world and fills the world and overflows the world and it's in Him. That we live and move and have our being. Isn't this what the hymn writer is saying when he says, this is my Father's world. He shines in all that is fair. In the rustling grass I hear Him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Right? A world that's not accidental, but is alive with the presence of the One who created it. Dallas Willard says that we stand here now and always in the presence of a great being who fills and overflows space. It's an overwhelming reality. It's, it's not what the, way, you know, the way the world thinks. As you go through our days working and playing and raising our children and cleaning our houses, this, this overwhelming sense that, that in Him we live and move and have our being. Some of us, more than others, want to practice that presence. Practice an awareness. That we live in a created world that is alive with the presence of God. Why is this important? Because it is only in a world like this that verse 38 can be true. Nothing will be impossible with God. That's verse 37, sorry. It is only in a world like this that that can be true. Where nothing is impossible. That stories like this are possible stories. That the things that are being told us that happened historically, really, and in people's lives, angels and pregnant virgins and sons of God, these are all possible things in a created world. We must face straight on the supernatural nature of the story, the true story, the historical story. What happens and it comes to us in the midst of very ordinary things. Many of us, angels are not part of our ordinary experience. Even for, even for the Jewish mindset and, and folks here where we see angels in these stories, even though in that culture, in that world, and when God worked with them, angelic visits were very, very rare. They're all captured for us, or most of them are captured for us. 
but between some of the angels and the angel of the Lord that appeared at various places in the Old Testament through Jesus, there's like one a century maybe. You know, they're, they're, they're not the normal. We tend to live in a mundane and ordinary, right? And that's what mundane means. Ordinary, everyday, routine, commonplace, almost dull, cleaning house, doing laundry, raising kids, working, fueling nuclear plants, you know, whatever it is that you happen to, to do day after day after day. But to the eyes that see and the ears that hear, that is exactly where we encounter God. It's in Him that we live and move and have our being. It's in the, in the ordinary places and spaces. It's true of the Christmas story. Even as it's true of, of us still. It's true of the Christmas story. You see in verse 26, it was in the sixth month. We know that that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Well, it follows on that story about her pregnancy, and it says in the sixth month. And then as you look ahead to verse 36, it makes clear that her, your relative Elizabeth in her old age is conceived. She's in her sixth month. So in the sixth month, in the middle of, an, of a pregnancy, your relative's pregnancy, angel, the angel Gabriel was sent out by God. Right? He was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Lazarus to a virgin who was betrothed. So it's the second time in six months that God sends out Gabriel to deliver an amazing message, an announcement to uh, women, ordinary women. This spiritual creature manifesting himself to people with a message from God. Possible in a created world. And where was he sent? Where did this mighty one of God go with his extraordinary message, as we will talk about in a minute? He's sent to, we're told, Nazareth in Galilee. It's a backwater town. Nobody's heard of it. It's a place that, that nobody goes to per se. Who lives there? No one important that we know of. What important event ever happened there? None that we are aware of. You know, who, you know, what sight is there to see in Galilee, in, in Nazareth of Galilee? Nothing that we're aware of. Do you pass through Nazareth on your way to somewhere else? No, it's a, it's a little sleepy town nestled in, a, in the mountains, and it's not on the way to anywhere. You know that the Old Testament, it's never mentioned in the entire Old Testament. There were no battles fought there. There were no wells there. There were no, you know, whatever, all the goings and comings and whatever. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. The Talmud, which is a 26-volume expansion on uh, the, the history and commentary and, and, the, and legend and, and extra-biblical stories on the Old Testament and all that, never mentions Nazareth once. Josephus, who's a contemporary historian, writing about the time of Christ, who wrote a multi-volume history of the time, he mentions 204 towns in Galilee, but never mentions Nazareth. Why do I? I mean, it's, 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 it's mundane. It's, one of the, it's just a place. It's like I was you know, doing some of this and in, in, in thinking how this apply. you know, where here is this? I mean, you know, Whitwell is over the mountain. I'm not sure if you know, many of you know Whitwell. We have a few Whit, Whitwellian, Whit, <laughs> Whitwellians here. <clears throat> so the Whitwellians, they would be the only one who would know. What is a little town just west of Whitwell? It's 
I looked on a map just to see what's over there. It's called Griffiths Creek. Who lives in Griffiths Creek? I don't know. <laughs> you know, who goes there? What, what is there to see there? What is there? Is it on the way to somewhere? I've never had to pass through there. But that's where God shows up. Right? In other words, as we're going to see, it's in very ordinary people's lives. You know, that this God in whom we live and move, and it's not kings that live and move and have their being in Him. Right? It's people in Griffiths Creek live and move and have their being in Him. It's people there that God shows up in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of the nowhere. He is their God and He is living and He's present. And He comes there to this teenaged child, young woman I should say, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph in the house of David. She's a young woman, probably a teenager. She's a village girl in a small, you know, small town village girl. Who is Mary? That the Lord should look on her with favor. We'd have to say at least at one level, no one in the eyes of the world that we would know the Lord should show favor to someone in Griffiths Creek, I wouldn't even know. She's no one. And yet, she's favored of God. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph, whose claim to fame is that he is of the royal house of David. But the throne and scepter has departed from the house of David. David's house hasn't ruled in Israel in hundreds, hundreds of years, centuries almost six centuries. It is a, an obscure line at this point. It's become obscured. The guy who is ruling on the throne now, Herod, who's king, of, he is Jewish, if uh, <clears throat> the way you see it, but he's a puppet king under Rome, and he is an Edomite. Edom is a little country. There was a period of time when the Maccabees, about 200 years before Jesus, came to power, and they conquered Edom. Edom is, are the people of Esau. They're not the line of Abraham. They stand outside the chosen people. They're not part of Israel. But Israel in that period of time, about 200 years before Jesus conquers them, forces them to convert and assimilates them into Israel. And it's one of these Edomite sons of Esau who's reigning in Israel right now. I'm related to the Duke of Argyle. It's a little known fact. My mom went and visited... Scotland a number of years ago and they went and visited the Duke of Argyle of the clan Campbell. My father's side, I'm second generation from Sweden. On my mother's side, I'm from the clan Campbell and I'm related to the Duke of Argyle. But I'm a very distant leaf on a very big tree. Right? In many ways, that's Joseph. He's a leaf on a distant branch of a defunct royal line living in obscurity in the mountains with no real hope of any kind of royal future. So we live in a created world that is full of mundane people doing mundane things. And we have surprising encounters with the living God. Surprising encounter with the Most High. And that's what Mary has in this moment. The, the envoy of the Most High God shows up in this rural town and talks to Mary and gives her a very surprising Message, right? A surprising greeting and an announcement and then prophecy. Very surprising prophecy. The greeting is surprising. The angel shows up and says, O favored one. 
You know, you ever, I, I've so many times I've had the experience where somebody calls something to you or says something to you and you look up, you're not sure you know who they are or you're not sure or whatever and you kind of look, are you talking to me? Um, you know, is there, is there somebody else? You know, it says that Mary is a little confused by this. What kind of greeting is this? She's trying to figure out. The angel shows up and says, oh, favored one. that God took notice of her existence at all would have shocked her. And he adds to that, Yahweh is with you. Often when we say that, we pray, oh God, be with them. We mean be with them in the way of blessing. Right? Be with them in the way of power. Protect them. Bless them. Right? That's what we mean when we say God be with them. There's a sense in which God is everywhere and He's always with us. But we would pray in a very particular way, God be with them. Protect them, bless them, help them. And it's that kind of a statement when he says, Yahweh is with you in the way of blessing. Mary's not sure what that means just yet. She's a little confused as we, as we saw there in, the end, in verse 29. She's very troubled. That is, means she's confused. She's startled. And she's a little bit afraid because the first thing the angel says is, don't be afraid. What are you talking about? And it's a surprising announcement. Verse 30 and 31, he says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. Let me tell you what that favor is. Let me explain it to you. I see you're confused by this favor that God has on you. Behold, you're going to conceive in your womb. You're going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus. You're going to get pregnant. And you're going to have a son. And I'm going to give you the name that you're to give him. In other words, when, when I say that God has had favor on you, what I mean is God has chosen you. God has picked you out. And He is with you in a unique and special way that we would have to call blessing, though this young woman may be in her experience of being pregnant out of wedlock, may have at times found the blessing hard to discern uh, because that brings with it certain stigma and that kind of thing that she would wrestle with. You will be pregnant and have a child. She's young. She's not married yet. She says, literally in verse 34, it says, you know, since I'm a virgin, it literally says, I've not known a man. I've never been with a man. Uh, It is a confusing statement that he brings to her. You're going to bear a baby boy. And before she can get the questions out, he says, not only are you going to name him Jesus, but he gives this surprising prophecy about the Son. Starting in verse 32, he's going to be great. He's going to be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord is going to give to Him the throne of His father David. He's going to reign. He's going to be king over the house of Jacob forever. And His kingdom is never going to end. So things are getting out of control. Things are getting crazy. You know, not just that she is going to have a child, but he starts to talk crazy talk. He's going to be great. You know, you and I might say he's going to be awesome. In the, in the fullest sense of that word, he's going to be awesome. Right? He's going to be messianic. He's going to be a messianic figure, a divine figure, a royal figure, an apocalyptic figure. He is going to be somebody extraordinary. You're going to name him Jesus. Jesus is the name Joshua in the Greek. 
So it's Joshua in the Hebrew, and Jesus is simply the Greek, the Hellenized version of Joshua. You're going to call His name Joshua, which gives some historic context to the, people, the one who delivers God's people into the promised land. You know, and it literally means, the name Joshua means God, our salvation. God, the salvation, our salvation. You're going to give Him the name of Savior. Essentially, God our Savior. You're going to call His name in Matthew when the angel, we, we get an explanation and He says you're going to call his name, his name Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. You're going to call Him Savior because He's going to save Israel. And very specifically, from their sins. Which is another surprising piece of the message. Not what they fully expect to hear. The boy is going to be the long-awaited Savior of God's people. And this becomes clear in the next few things as he talks about the divine and royal and apocalyptic elements of this man's life and purpose. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Verse 35, as he's explaining more and answering her questions, he says he's going to be called Holy, the Son of God. Son of the Most High. God is going to intervene. God is sending His Son into the world. God so loved the world that He's sending His own Son into the world to be born of a virgin and to live an extraordinary life and to save. He's going to be a royal figure. says they're going to give Him the throne back. The throne of His family. The throne of David. He's going to be raised out of obscurity and the throne is going to be in a sense resurrected in the Davidic line. He's going to get His Father's throne. This is another messianic prophecy because the people are waiting for a son of David to save them. The Messiah, the Anointed One, God's Man. And he's an apocalyptic figure. I mean, what kind of a statement is that? That he's going to get his throne of his father David and he's going to reign on it forever. Of his kingdom. There will not be an end. Right? That's apocalyptic stuff. That's end of the world stuff. That's forever and ever stuff. What happens at the end when something is established and goes on and on and on into eternity. He's going to reign forever. He, he rises as, as not just a great king over Israel, but literally one of the greatest, the greatest king the world has ever seen. The only king whose kingdom will never end. And he will reign as God's man. The angel might have understated it a bit when he said he's going to be great. He'll be the greatest man, the greatest king to ever live on the face of the planet. He will be God. Mary's response bears some scrutiny in 34. She she says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I've not been with a man. Now her question, she questions the angel. Zechariah questions Gabriel when he comes to him and Mary questions him. Zechariah's question is a little bit different and he gets a little bit different answer than Mary's question. right? Zechariah, when he asks, he doesn't say, how will this be? He said, how can I believe this? How can I know this is true? There is a doubt in his question that comes out in Gabriel's answer. Gabriel's answer is, How do you know this? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Did did you not hear me? How do you know? Right. So Gabriel's answer answers his doubt, answers his questioning. But Mary's question isn't doubt. 
She wants to understand how this is going to happen. She wants to know how it's going to work. How is this going to go down? And there are two reasons I believe that it's, 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 she believes, and it's a question in faith, but she wants to understand how it's going to work. And there are two reasons. One is Elizabeth, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, down in verse 45, jumping ahead, said, And blessed are you, blessed is she who believed that she would be that there would be a fulfillment of all that was spoken to her. Blessed is the one who believed. All right, so under the inspiration of the Spirit, Mary is credited with faith in it. But the second is, for me, why I know that she's not questioning the angel, she believes him, but she wants to know why, is that how the angel answers it. He doesn't answer it with question, answering her doubt. He answers it with, with an answer to the question, which is a how-to question. How is this going to happen? Right? And so he answers it. This is how it's going to go down. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Right? The, the power of the Most High God is going to overshadow you. And you're going to be with child. Right? That's how it's going to go down. That's how it's going to happen. She, she might be thinking, you might be thinking, see, this has happened before. Mary is very faithful. The priest should have gotten it. I say that, you know, Zechariah, you know, he should have gotten it. But Mary, she might be thinking of someone like Abraham, who was also promised a child, what seemed to be an impossible child. But Abraham really didn't know the how-to. He really didn't ask, how is this going to go down, right? And so, as the promise went unfulfilled, he kind of took matters into his own hands, right? He tried to make the promise come true. He takes Hagar. To, uh, to bear a son, trying to complete God's promise on his behalf. And so Mary's like, what do I... Part of Mary's question is simply this, what do I got to do? Are you saying I need to get married tomorrow you know, with Joseph? Are you saying, what, what do I do? How is this going to happen? The angel answers, nothing, Mary. God is going to do it. God is going to do the impossible. God is going to intervene in a way that He hasn't in some time. God Himself is going to come. The power of the Most High. That word overshadow means exactly what it is. In the Hebrew, it's the idea of casting a shadow that if you were standing in the sun and something passed between you and you were shadowed over, you know, the shadow comes over you. There's a sense where God says He's going to overshadow. You're going to come under His shadow. The shadow of His wing and power is going to be exerted. The Creator, all things are possible in His world, is going to create a Son. The God who said, let there be light, is going to say, let the virgin be with child. And she was. By His own power. We confess we're celebrating an, an impossible event, something that could never happen naturally. I understand for those who live in such a closed world, who live in an accidental world, who live without God to be confused and to live in doubt and skepticism to what we're talking about. Because it is an impossible event that we're talking about. We're talking literally about the crowning miracle of the universe. It is bigger than the initial creation. You know, and in many ways, the creation of the world is a miracle. God acts and speaks, let there be light, and the world comes into being. And this God, it is the crowning miracle of all things because in this miracle, God steps into His creation. He becomes in some way that is difficult to describe part of it. He, he takes on humanity. Our humanity. 
a human body. Without giving up His divinity, without ceasing to be God, He creates a body for Himself and He becomes a man or takes our humanity. Divinity and humanity in one. He steps into creation. He takes flesh and blood so that He can bleed and die and be a Savior to a world that is lost. This miracle, if it is true, you know, because as you read the rest of the Gospels and the rest of the stories about Jesus and says that He turned water into wine and says that He multiplied bread and fish. It says that He healed the blind and he, and he healed the sick. It says that He walked on water. It says that He rose from the dead. There are all these miracles. And, and everybody, they read the miracle and say, you can't do that in my closed world. You can't do that. That's not doable. But if this miracle is true, The rest of them are no-brainers. If God walked among us, it is no wonder if the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, it is no wonder that we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father. In His life, in His teaching, in His miracles, God's glory is manifest. All the difficulties melt away. All the stuff that happened in his life is is expected. How can God walk among us and it not be just like that? That we're still talking about him. We're still preaching him. We're still believing him. We still love his word and his truth. We see our lives shaped by it. We're still being saved by him. That there is still thousands of years later He is reigning on the throne of David still. At the right hand of the Father and will continue to do so. So let me just pull just quickly a number of the things if you already haven't as application to things coming out of the story. I've tried to touch them already. Let me make them more explicit. You know, we don't live in a world that is cold and silent. And there are many people who live that way. For me, it is just hard to believe to live in a world where there's no wonder and there's only the physical and it, and it is what it is and then it's not. And you are what you are and, and it's hard and then you're not. And you live in this closed, silent, cold world that really doesn't amount to or mean much. But my friends, we live in our Father's world. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, it is alive with His presence and alive with His power. And He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass we hear Him pass. He's speaking to us everywhere and all the time. Because, number two, we live in a created world. We know and we believe exactly what the angel said in 37, for nothing will be impossible with Him. Anything is possible. And so we pray. And so we pray. And so we ask and we seek and we knock. And we believe and we hope all things and we believe all things. Because all things are possible. God can do all things. And, and not only that, is everything that the Bible says Jesus did, that he, that he did, and all things are possible that way, but it, it bleeds over into this ever-reigning King, into the lives of His people who live in His kingdom still. And so if you live under this King, Paul says things like, I can do all things through Him who gives me power. Through Him who strengthens me. That, that God can do all things bleeds into my life in a way that, 
that changes everything. Possibilities open up around me. And I can do things that I couldn't do in my own strength. And so often in my counseling, that's one of the things I'll do if you come to me looking for help is going to try to talk you into believing that you can do more. Not because you are more, but because you can do all things through Christ. You can endure. You can rise up. You can believe. You can be healed. You can be reconciled. You can. It's all possible. In this world that we live in, God walked among us. And He still reigns. And it's still possible. This is our Father's world and all things are possible. And He meets us in the mundane. In Griffiths Creek. In Whitwell, in Chattanooga, which really isn't that big of a town. You know, outside of Chattanooga, if it weren't for the choo-choo, I'm just saying. I'm not sure anybody would have heard of us. Because I hadn't before coming here, I usually have to tell people, you live in Chattanooga, I'm like, you know, the choo-choo? You know, because they're like, at least for places where I've been. But that's okay. Because God meets us in mundane places, in mundane people, in the midst of mundane things. It's a world full of wonder. Because it's a world that is inhabited by a living God. And so when we're doing laundry and raising children and running errands and refueling nuclear plants or sleeping or doing whatever it is that we do, we can believe that God is present and God is active and that God is working and we encounter Him in those moments. Sometimes we just close our eyes and lift our hearts and, and the extraordinary can invade the ordinary. It is our Father's world and all things are possible. He meets us in the mundane and God's favor rests on no, nobody's. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we become children of the Most High God. The most ordinary of us in the most ordinary places. So when this, this announcement to Mary, I take it, and I think it is for you, and you could take it, that if the angel showed up in this day and this time, on this side of Jesus, in His life and death and resurrection, the outpouring of His Spirit, faith in Him, that at this point, if He met any one of us, He would, he would start with, oh, favored one. We are, the, we are favored ones. Each and every one of us. He favors the weak and the obscure with His grace and His presence. And for you and I, just as He said, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you in the way of blessing. And He's at work in your life. That is true of you as it is of me. The Lord is with you. Right? He has favored you. When, this is what Paul, when he writes to the church in Colossae, where's Colossae? I, you know, southern Greece somewhere. It's, it's, but he writes to the church there and he says to them, he's writing to the church and he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Right? That's the... That's every single member of every single church. Anyone who knows and loves Christ in Christ is a chosen one, holy and dearly loved. There are those who venerate Mary beyond what I think the Scripture warrants. Beyond what I believe is really healthy for us. But there is also a way that we need to see that Mary is a shining figure in Scripture. She is a woman whom God has met in an extraordinary way. And she responds in a way that I think is, you know, you know, obviously God is the main character of this whole story. 
But as we see people and read biography and look for examples to follow, Mary is a good one. And she says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Behold, I am the servant of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Let it be to me according to Your Word. I want that to come out of my mouth with sincerity and regularity. Right? Doesn't that, doesn't that want to be your heart? I am a servant of Yahweh. Let it be to me. Let it be to me as you will. In a world where all things are possible, are you a servant of the Creator? Are you open to His will? Are you bowing your knee? Because that's really where this comes down. As Jesus is, as this text proclaims, as the rest of the Scripture proclaims, and the first part of it prophesied, Jesus is the awesome One. Right? That's what the angel says. Jesus is the awesome One. He is the Son of David and the Son of God and the Savior of the world. He is the forever reigning King. And the question of all the rest of it is, will you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? The awesome one. Will you acknowledge him as your king, that it, this king that reigns forever? Will you acknowledge him as your king, and that you will reign forever with him? That you will live with him forever? Will you surrender to his lordship and trust him as your savior and give your life to him as his follower? My friends, that is what Christmas is all about. And if we haven't got that, there's a question, there's a call in Christmas. Will you? Surrender to His Lordship. Right? Behold, the King has been born who will reign forever. Will you surrender to His Lordship? Trust Him as your Savior. Follow Him. This is what Christmas is all about. Will you make the baby your King? Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. We thank You that You are a God who is not silent, but a God who lives and reigns over the world that You have made and that You are indeed everywhere. We cannot escape Your presence. Father, we don't want to. Oh, in fact, awaken us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. You, in our lives, in the most mundane of moments, may we live in Your presence. But Father, as we celebrate around this Christmas and and spend the week preparing for the day when family will be together and we will feast and exchange gifts in the midst of it all, Father, help us that we might surrender to Your Lordship. To the Lordship of Christ who was born. That we might embrace Him and trust Him as Lord and Savior. The One who can save us from our sins. Who have paid our penalty and our debt. Father, help us. To follow Jesus. This we ask and pray in His name. Amen.